Hey, everybody, we're talking to Wayne Mullins today. What an amazing guy. He's the founder of Ugly Mug Marketing, entrepreneur and creator of the Freelance Accelerator. He's got some incredible stories about developing high-performing teams and culture. He's a great new friend of mine. You don't want to miss this incredible conversation. Welcome to The Last 10%. Your host, Dallas Burnett dives into incredible conversations that will inspire you to finish well and finish strong. Listen as guests share their journeys and valuable advice on living in the last 10%. If you are a leader, a coach, a business owner, or someone looking to level up, you are in the right place. Remember, you can give 90% effort and make it a long way, but it's finding out how to unlock the last 10% that makes all the difference in your life, your relationships, and your work. Now, here's Dallas. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Dallas Burnett sitting in my 1905 Koch Brothers Barber Chair in Thrive Studios. But more importantly, we have a great guest today. Mr. Wayne Mullins has influenced over 250,000 entrepreneurs a year. So I can't wait to get into that. So welcome to the show, Wayne. Thank you so much, Dallas. I'm excited for our chat today and looking forward to an inspiring conversation. Oh, that's awesome. So you in, you influence a lot of entrepreneurs. Tell us, how do you come in contact and influence so many entrepreneurs every single year? Sure, absolutely. There's several different ways that occurs. One is through social platforms. Obviously, social media is a thing now that enables us to connect and communicate and inspire other people. And what's so interesting about that, I was just overhearing some conversation yesterday evening and someone was commenting on a post that I had made and they were talking to somebody else saying, you know, I really love all the posts that Wayne does. And what's interesting to me is I've never once seen that person like, comment, share, or wow. any other way visibly that I would know. So I think wow. an important thing to remember for everyone out there is that your words, your stories, the things you're communicating on these social platforms is making a difference. It is impacting others, even if you never see the visible evidence of it. So oh, that's one wow. way. Also have some online courses. We have over 20,000 students enrolled in uh, one of our online courses and speaking and through a book. I've got a book out there that sells quite well. So all of those different ways. That's awesome. That will do it. That would do it. Wonderful. That's awesome. I can't wait to get into talking about some of this today. Now you have, you are the founder of uh, a marketing agency called Ugly Mug Marketing. And I got to ask, first of all, tell us how you got into that. And second of all, you got to tell us where the name Ugly Mug Marketing came from, because that sounds like a fun story. Yeah, absolutely. I got into marketing as a result of going into sales. So we were chatting before we started recording here, Zig Ziglar had a huge impact on me when I was in college. Mm. Uh, for some mm. reason, my parents gave me a set of CDs from Zig Ziglar. I still to this day <laughs> don't know why they gave me those CDs, but it was Zig Ziglar talking about the sales profession. And through those CDs, what Zig did was he sold me on the yes. profession of selling. In other words, at that point, yes. from that point forward, I knew I wanted to go into sales and oh. that's exactly what I did. And that sales journey led me down a path, which turned into some marketing consulting 
And at some point that turned into the opportunity to actually open an agency. And that's been about 15 years ago now. Wow. That's awesome. I feel like we have, we're like-minded in that. I, I still remember getting out of school and really not having a development mindset at that point in time, just because you, you come out of school and you're just like, man, I'm tired of just, you know, learning all this stuff. But it was mainly that I was learning things I wasn't interested in. And then somebody, I don't even know how it got turned on to Zig Ziglar, but I just remember I was driving in car. I mean, I would be on some trip and it would be hours of just me and Zig and, and just, I just ate it up and I just chewed up everything he had. And so it was so good, such an inspiring guy and had such a way of, of his perspective was just fantastic. And the way he framed his ideas were just incredible. He was so polished and was very inspiring. So yeah, man, I'm feeling you on the Zig Ziglar, man. He was the man. So tell us a little bit about how, how where did Ugly Mug come from? Like, how, What was the genesis of Ugly Mug? Sure. So I started the career in sales, quickly learned that I sucked at this thing called selling. But <laughs> thanks to my stubbornness, thanks to Zig, continually, you know, quote unquote, preaching in my ear about selling and developing my sales skills, I finally got good at this thing of selling. And you know, Dallas, one of these dangerous things occurred as I got better at selling, the amount of revenue that I was making for the company started going up at a higher rate than my mm -hmm. was going up. Both were going up, but the company's Funny revenue how that was going up. Yeah. was spiking a bit more. And so I had this dangerous thought. What if I actually went and did something for myself? What if I went and sold something for myself? At that point in time, the only other skill that I had was cutting grass. So mm. I'm here in Louisiana. The grass cutting season here is nine months out of the year and all through you know, high school and college, that's what I did. Summertimes I was uh. cutting grass for money, making money. And so then much to the dismay of my parents, to some friends, I left this wonderful sales job, corporate job, eight to five, Monday through Friday, all the benefits and, you know, really decent pay and decided to start a lawn and landscape company. Uh. It was a year period, the next three years, I grew that from nothing. I'd you know, since stopped doing it when I started doing sales, grew that into the largest lawn and landscape company in our region. And during the course of that growth, I started having a lot of other entrepreneurs, business owners. A lot of them were actually clients of the lawn and landscape company coming to me saying, what are you doing to grow? You know, mm. they'd seen the journey, Dallas. They'd seen me go from myself and a truck to myself and a crew, myself in another crew, in another truck, right? So they'd seen this progression over this relatively short period of time. And so the question started coming, what are you doing to grow at that pace? And the answer was marketing. We were doing some very unique, very specific things from marketing, from our marketing perspective. And those conversations led into consulting, right? P people paying for input, paying for advice. And at some point there was just enough of that, that I had this other crazy idea. What if I did this? for a job, right? What if I started a company and did this? How about that? Oh, that's awesome. I love that story. I love how you just flipped it and you just went where you saw opportunity and you started in sales and then saw this opportunity in something you'd already known when you were working in college and you followed that opportunity. And then that opened up the door to a completely new opportunity. I love that. And I think that's such a journey of entrepreneurship is that the place that you start is so oftentimes not the place that you finish or land the plane. It's just, it is a circuitous path. And that's awesome. That ugly mug 
And let's talk a little bit about this because in the Zig Ziglar frame of mind, when we were talking about how Zig Ziglar approaches things, there's a big part of that in terms of his perspective, in terms of routines. And you have doing the routines well and staying consistent. You have some really good, solid routines. And we've talked about a little bit before the show, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit about you know, what is some routines that you felt like you've developed over the years that's really helped you in your life and in your business? Sure. You are right. Zig Ziglar was very much one who advocated understanding the foundational element. So when he talked about sales, it was about the foundation of human psychology and of persuasion. And so really for me, what I've always loved is trying to figure out what are the foundational pieces? What are the basic pieces that the really great people do that other people have already forgotten? So mm. when I look around at the entrepreneurs, when I work, look around at athletes, one of the things that's so fascinating to me is what separates average or even good from great mm. is that the great know the foundational things so much better than those below them. Mm. And it, it goes back to, you know, I'm reminded of the John Wooden story, the UCLA basketball coach, the most winning yeah. coach in co collegiate history. Oh. oh, yeah. In their first day of practice, right? So first of all, he has the absolute best college basketball players in the country because they had already been winning national championships. So he had his pick literally of all oh. the high school graduates who he wanted to choose from. So these are the top high school graduates coming mm -hmm. to play on his team. And the very first day of practice, he teaches them how to put on their socks correctly, right? <laughs> it's a foundational <laughs> thing. Like you wouldn't think you'd be teaching high school all-star basketball players how to put on their socks. But his whole premise was you put your socks on wrong, incorrectly, mm. you're mm. going to get a blister. You get mm. a blister, you're going to miss practice. You miss practice, you're going to miss games. You miss games, you're going to cause us to lose. He mm. would then move into how do you tie your shoe so that it doesn't come untied. Mm. And again, those things for me, I had to learn over the years, what are those foundational elements that put me in the best position to win day in and day out? And, you know, my story, Dallas, so... My journey hasn't been this linear path upwards, right? Like so many others, my path has been full of a lot of ups and downs. And some of those downs were pretty dark and pretty deep places. You know, at one point, we, my company was investigated by the FBI, the actual oh, FBI. Man. And oh, the man. company at the time, we weren't even doing well, right? So it's not like we were super successful and we got investigated. We weren't doing well. And so this whole process really put me into a state of deep depression, extreme depression. I'd never experienced anything like that in my life, you know, struggled mm. just to get out of bed in the mornings. It, it was to the point, Dallas, that I didn't want to live. I reached that point where I didn't want to live and I, I had no hope. I had no, you know, the future was not bright whatsoever. And through the course of just some small interactions, what I discovered was that some of the foundational pieces that I need to succeed were not in place. Mm. So when the storm comes, right, when this whole thing took place, there was not a solid foundation. So I was very susceptible to go down this path of depression. And so that's, for me, what really started this idea or this 
you know, whole journey towards figuring out what are the foundational pieces that I need in my life to ensure that I'm on good footing. I love how you talk about it as it relates to performance and starting with the basics. And I feel like that's exactly right. I, I just, when we had another guest on that was a performance psychologist for a major league baseball team. And he said something similar in the sense that he was always amazed at how the great players did the mundane things with excellence and so consistent. And it was this, these things that are typically, like you said, other people have already forgotten. They've moved on to the next thing. And, you know, whether it's a great athlete or a great business person, it's just getting down and doing the simple things so consistently and so well that the foundation that you have is so strong that you end up getting and creating the results because you've got a great foundation. And I love that. I love how you frame that up. And I think that's very true. I think that so many times people get impatient or they're, they get distracted by something, you know, bright and shiny and that on the next thing and they forget sometimes the fundamentals or we get sloppy. We just have this performance drift on the fundamentals. And, and I think that's, that's so true. I think we're routines, especially and our routines create and make who we are. And so focusing on the basics of routines is definitely going to help us create, whether it's the business or the team or the performance, whatever we're in that we want. So I love that. I love that. What's some of your go-to routines? You say some foundational routines. What are some of the routines that you say are, are go-to? Absolutely. So for me, you know, it, it, they all, a lot of these started when I was trying to work through that depression and come out of that period in my life. So for me, number one, it was getting up at a consistent time. So I wake up at 5.05 a.m., seven days a week, mm. 365 days a year. It doesn't matter if I'm sick wow. with fever. It doesn't matter if I'm on vacation. It doesn't matter if it's Christmas. It doesn't matter. The day does not matter. I'm waking up at 5.05 a.m. <laughs> and the reason that I had to be so rigid with that is what I've learned for myself, and this may not be true for others, but what I've learned for myself is that exceptions become the norm. So when I would give mm. myself a pass, when I would make an exception, you know, I didn't sleep well last night, so I'm going to hit snooze a few times. Then the next day it was, you know, what, you know, whatever, it's the weekend or it's a holiday or we're on vacation, right? There's <laughs> always an exception. And so for me, I just said, you know what? No exceptions, 5.05 a.m., seven days a week, 365 days a year. So I've been doing that now for probably four or five years straight. I don't remember the exact time frame, But for me, that morning time is where I needed the time to start my day correctly. I'm married. We have four kids. And during this period, as anyone whose parent understand, once the kids are awake and you're at home, you really don't have much time to focus on yourself. <laughs> There's not much quiet time in a house when no, it's kids present. Right. Yeah. So that's exactly right. Yeah. So my routine would start at 5.05. I would begin the day with some meditation. So I use an app called Calm. It's just a, a guided meditation. And all I really do is a breathing exercise. It just really helps me to remind myself that the thoughts can come, but I don't have to latch on to those thoughts, right? I don't have to believe or pursue every single thought that comes my way, that I can just see the thoughts, watch them pass, and let them move on. The next thing I do is I spend 15 to 20 minutes reading, and that is always something very intentional. Now, that varies based on where I'm at, what I'm feeling in that period of my life, 
So I will make sure that I'm reading something that's going to serve me in that period. I also journal, so I don't spend a ton of time journaling, but I like to put down some thoughts on paper. It could be just how I'm feeling that morning. It could be something, you know, an instance or an event that's taking place in my life at the time. Yeah. And then the other thing is exercise. I started six years ago running. I was never a runner. I never ran at all for anything. And I started running. And, you know, the first year I ran a couple hundred miles. The next year I progressed that. And those foundational pieces that took place in the morning. So between five o'clock in the morning and between seven o'clock in the morning, those foundational pieces, I would argue, has what enabled my company to thrive over the last few years. I would argue that it has enabled me to invest in my marriage, to invest in my kids and in those relationships as well. I love that. I think that's interesting too. And I love your, the, it's a mindfulness meditation that you at least are describing, at least what I've understood. And we have similar morning routines. I get up at the same time every day. I think one of the things, it's so interesting the way you describe that, the exception becomes the norm. Oh my gosh, I love how you put that. And I think it is because when we give ourselves, it just keeps it simple. You eliminate decisions when you say there is no exception. It's this every single day, then I'm not saying, is today the day I get to sleep in? Is, is today the day I get to skip working out? Is today the day that I can just roll it? You just don't. You don't have to make that decision. You say, no, today is the day. Today, every day I get up at five and that's what we're going to do. We're rolling with it. And so I think not having to decide and make as many decisions helps you be more consistent because if you're not having to make a decision, then you don't have to worry about making the wrong one. <laughs> yeah. And so it's really good. What I've observed is that it becomes your identity. So for me in running, for example, I was never a runner. And it took me probably a couple of years before I started identifying as a runner. And once your identity shifts, so once your identity becomes someone who wakes up at five every morning, it's abnormal. It's not who you are to sleep in. Once you become a runner, what do you want to do? You want to run. And so I think one of the hacks, if there was going to be a hack around this, it would be the sooner that you can learn to shape your identity, to believe that you are that type of person, the easier and the quicker you will establish the habits that you want in your life. Oh, listen, I, I, let me tell you, I've, I've got a story on that one because we had, we were developing this coaching system for a client, which is now the one-on-one -on -one coaching system that we have was an app that we have, we install in a lot of different clients. But when we were at the genesis of that, we had no idea if it was going to be successful or not. And we had one of the operations managers was like, share the kind of take the take me through this one on one coaching session in front of a couple project managers. I was like, okay. And he was like saying, Hey, look, guys, look, this is what's coming. He's getting pat on the back that he's giving them the inside, you know, this is what's coming down the line. And so we just went through a coaching session right there in front of them. And we get done and we look, I turned around, I looked at the guy, I'll never get out. I said, hey, what do you think? I got nothing. Total deadpan. I mean, zero response. Yeah. Okay. And then they get up and it's like, it's over. I'm, I'm like, okay, this is not good. This is going to be bad. So they leave. This was like a Thursday, a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, nothing. I come back on Monday morning. The office manager's knocking on the door. He's like, dude, you're not going to believe what just happened. Like, what? He's like, one of those project managers like came in this morning, met with me first thing. So I just want to let you know, I quit smoking this weekend. He's like, what? He goes, yeah. 
He's like, you know, you ask for a commitment. And after you ask those questions in the coaching session, I just start thinking about him all the way home. And I start thinking, I need to make a commitment. And then I start thinking about my kid that's on the way. And I start thinking how much money I spend on smoking and booze and all that stuff. He's like, I'm done. I just quit. I'm not a smoker anymore. He went cold turkey. No Nick Patch, no nothing. Because he said, I'm not a smoker anymore. And he came back Monday. That was like, he had been smoking for like 15 years. And that was like three or four years ago. And the guy hadn't touched it since. I mean, he was done. Now, I'm not Tony Robbins. And this is the coaching system <laughs> isn't either. But that guy is just to, to your point. That's the power of an identity shift. He shifted from I use cigarettes to calm my nerves to I want to take my newborn daughter on nice vacations. And I'm the dad that gets to do that. And like when he made that switch over the course of a you know weekend, it was so transformative in his life. It just changed his whole life. And so I think that's really amazing. And I do think that I like how you said identity, because I think that it does how we perceive ourselves and what we believe about ourselves is going to can go a long way in shaping our reality. So do you have any other thoughts on that? Like how have you seen people or ideas that you have around how people would shape their identity? Because I think that's a cool concept. Yeah, I think, you know, whether we acknowledge it or not, it is true. You always behave in a manner that is consistent with the way you see yourself. Now, for some people, you may look around at the evidence in your life and you may think, no, that's not true because I don't want to be doing A, B, C, or D, right? I have these bad habits that I don't want. But the reality is your identity is that person still. You may be at war with those things, but your identity is that you're the person who is at war with these mm. bad habits, right? Mm. Until your identity shifts to the person who doesn't struggle to quit smoking, until your identity shifts to the person who doesn't struggle to wake up when the alarm clock goes off, until your identity shifts to the person who loves to run or loves to work out, you mm. are stuck fighting that battle because your identity is in that battle. Mm. And this is true in all aspects of our lives. You know, for mm. example, in the business world, in the business context, I spent probably the first seven years of ugly mug marketing, not believing that I knew how to lead people and manage people well. And you see, that came from the previous business, the lawn and landscape company. I had run into some managerial, some leadership challenges in that business that really deflated my belief in myself as a leader and as a manager. So I carried that mm. identity over with me into this business. And so it's funny, you talk to some people who have known me over these years that I've had ugly mug marketing, and I had some advisors and some mentors that I used to go to. And all that I would ever talk about, I would complain about the team. I would complain about that I couldn't lead, that I was tired of dealing with people, that I hated managing, all of these things. But it wasn't until my identity shifted that I chose to believe that I don't have to be a bad manager, a bad leader, that I can choose the identity to be a great leader and a great manager. It was at that point that everything began shifting, everything began changing. And to this day, I lean into that, right? Is it who I naturally am. No, I'm a high level introvert. I would much rather go hide in the corner, hide in the room <laughs> than lead or manage. But I'm leaning into that identity and attempting to use that to build the team and the culture and the business that I want. I think that's a great point. And I think that's said, and I think that you're exactly right. And I think so many times people mistakenly believe that they are just in the battle 
And that's a good thing that eventually, you know, it's like, okay, I just got to keep fighting in one day. And I, I love your perspective is that believe you've won, believe you're out, you're done. And that way you're not having to get up every day and be like, am I going to have to battle to get up? Am I going to battle to quit smoking? Am I, it doesn't have to be a battle. And I think that's really putting a fork into your identity and really resting in the awareness that you have about yourself, your strengths and your abilities and your uniqueness and, and then just running with it and saying, let's go. So I think that's very encouraging. And I would say if you're leading a team, if you're coaching uh, individuals, if you're growing a company, I think that you really need to spend some time, you know, asking yourself what you really believe. And I think that it's easy for sometimes for people to say, well, of course, I believe I'm this or I'm that. And it's good but they're not acting in a way. So if you really want to know what you believe, watch how you behave. And if you struggle getting them out of bed or you struggle quitting smoking, then you really need to say, maybe I don't really believe. Maybe there's some things that I need to, to unpack a little bit more. So I think that's really good. That's really good. I want to move on. I want to talk a little bit about, I want to talk, you're a marketing expert. You've been doing this for a long time. And honestly, it's funny because you were talking about the FBI. I'm sitting there thinking, this is ironic because you're like, everything started turning around. The business started going better. And I, my life's literally on your company. One of your, one of your like <laughs> recommendations, like that's on your thing is from Chris Voss. And if anybody's listened to this and loves the book, Splitting the Difference, which is like this massive bestseller from an FBI agent, a top negotiator. It's like literally he's saying how awesome you guys are. And I'm sitting there thinking that's a long way from getting it going through this investigation thing from the FBI to now having Chris Voss recommend you. I was like, wow, that's amazing. So well done with that on that. But I'd love to talk, since you're an expert in marketing, I want to first talk and give some listeners some ideas. If they are leading a team or business and they're thinking about marketing, maybe they are not getting what they want out of their marketing. Maybe they're not even doing marketing at all, or maybe they're not happy with the marketing that they are doing. So tell us what is something I would say rookie mistakes or mistakes that you see owners or leaders making when they engage in marketing their services or their products. Yeah, there's too many mistakes that I see people make, Dallas. And it's not because they're ignorant or it's not because they don't want to do the right thing with their marketing. It is because there's so much noise out there. Like, who do you mm. believe? Who do you listen to, right? And there's mm. a new guru born every day who's telling you to do this thing or that thing. But the two things that come to mind when I think about the biggest mistakes that I see consistently made, number one is that most people confuse marketing with advertising, and they use those two terms interchangeably. And mm. marketing and advertising are not the exact same thing. So advertising is merely a piece or a component of your marketing. And you can't use those terms interchangeably because they're not the same. So then the question is, what is marketing the way we like to define it? And again, there's not a right or wrong, but the way we like to define it is marketing is your ability to attract and to keep a customer. So the attraction side is a lot about the advertising, right? Is how are we going to get our message out there to the right people in the right way and on the right platform or the right media so that it resonates, so that it connects, so that it speaks to them. Now, the interesting thing, Dallas, is the keeping side. This is a side that I would say that 99% of even marketers overlook. We've been trained as marketers, as even as salespeople, we've been trained that our job is to bring people to the point of sell, to the point where they pull out their wallet and they hand us money. 
And then what do we do? If we're in sales, we're out looking for the next people to bring through the sales process again. And marketers do the same thing, right? We have been trained to find the strangers out there, convert those strangers into friends, and then mm. turn those friends into customers. And then we run out and we go try to find more strangers and we repeat. But where I truly believe, and there's evidence of this all around right now, but what I truly believe is going to be the ultimate hack, if you will, I hate the word hack, but ultimate marketing hack for the future, it's this. Learning to use your marketing skills, your sales skills, to turn your ordinary customers into evangelists for mm. your brand. That uh, is where yeah. the opportunity lies. Because while everyone else is running out there trying to go convince the next strangers to become friends, to then pull out their wallet and hand us money, if you take and you convert your existing clientele into evangelists for you, you now have an army who is doing mm. that work for you. And if you mm. look around, you will see evidence that the best brands, the brands that people love to talk about, are brilliant at turning their customers into evangelists. I love that. That is awesome. That is great advice. And I love the nuance that you put on the marketing and advertising and the differences between the two. I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot there. Also, I would love for you to talk a little bit about, because I think that as leaders or coaches or business owners, I don't want people to get caught up in that this is just a marketing conversation because in the standpoint of external marketing, because you know, we can talk about social media, we can talk about advertising, we can talk about clients, but we also have a component of internal marketing as well to our teams, to our companies, to our organizations. And so I would love to, for you to just think through and talk with us a little bit about how you feel like the principles of marketing how leaders and coaches can utilize some principles that may be used in marketing to be better leaders and or coaches specifically too. I'd love to hit on storytelling because I think that marketers are great storytellers. Yeah, I think you're spot on that so often we think marketing is a department or we think sales is a department. And in reality, so much of our lives are about selling. They're about persuasion. They're about marketing. And, you know, when you think about your role, whatever that role may be, assuming it's not in marketing, it's not in sales, you have to convince, you have to persuade other people, if you're the entrepreneur, to buy into the vision, to buy into the mission of your organization. And you can present it, you could read it off a piece of paper, you could email it out to everyone, and chances are it's not going to go over well. Because you haven't thought through a strategy, you haven't thought through a plan to position the vision, the mission in such a way that actually does what? It actually persuades people that they should be on board with this thing. I see this all the time, Dallas. I see where an example of that, you know, somebody comes out with a strategic plan. So we're, at the time we're recording this, it's the end of the year. And so a lot of talk about strategic planning and a lot of people are rolling out strategic plans for the next year for their companies. And the problem and the complaint I often hear is that no one buys into the plan, right? It becomes a sheet of paper or a document that sits on a desk somewhere and collects dust because no one buys into it. Mm. And one of my first questions is, how did you market this plan to your team? That sound means it's time to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. 
If you lead an organization or a team, one of the biggest challenges you face is developing your people. Think Move Thrive is here to help you on your journey. We've developed a coaching system that integrates into your team or organization to consistently develop your employees, build trust, gain valuable feedback, and increase accountability. Leadership retreats and summits are great. We even build those custom for our clients, but they're only part of the solution because they lack consistency. Our one-on-one coaching app is the missing piece in your employee development program. We help new leaders get to know their teams. We help technical managers be more relational, and we help ensure that your relational rock stars stay organized. We developed the system for a client, and it was so successful. We created the app to help more organizations develop their people, build trust, engagement, and you guessed it, performance. For more information, go to thinkmovethrive.com to learn more about the one-on-one coaching system and start developing your team today. Back to the show. And their response is usually, what do you mean? And I go through the whole explanation that we're talking about now. It's like, your job is to persuade them. Your job is to convince them as to why this vision or this plan is worth buying into. Mm. And as Zig Ziglar used to say, one of the very first things we have to learn to do is communicate what's in it for me. (laughs) He used to talk about (laughs) the, the radio station, right? (laughs) <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. It, again, very basic things, but here's what happens. We spend the time, energy, and effort putting this plan together, strategic plan together, vision together, whatever you want, it, whatever it is for your department, for your role, you put this thing together. You then pitch it to the person or to the team or to the board or whoever it is. And the response is very blah, right? It's very, okay, whatever. It's another plan. We'll do it. We won't do it. And The complaint then becomes those people just aren't motivated. Those people just don't want to buy in. Those people, and here's the thing I love to say, anytime we begin the sentence with those people are there, (laughs) it's probably time that we stop and reflect and look in the mirror first because we didn't do a good enough job of positioning and persuading and understanding why should they even care to begin with. And that's so much about marketing, right. right? Marketing is about helping people understand why they should care. What's in it for them? What's the benefit for them? In all of us as leaders, we could learn to lean into that a bit more. Learn to lean into our role to persuade, to convince, to help them understand why they should care. I love that. And I love how you take the personal responsibility. If you ever, if you're saying, those people don't do this or that or think this way or that. We're already at a deficit. We're already messing up because as a leader, it is the first person you should look on is in the mirror if you're not getting the results from your people because we can always do a better job at communicating. And, and I think asking ourselves the question, have I communicated in a way that really helps them see what's in it for them? What's in it for them and what's in it for me? And everybody, it's, it, and, and that doesn't... And I think some people get lost on that as it's a, it's a salesy tactic or like this used car salesman approach to selling vision. That's not it at all. Because if you're approaching your company, your organization, or your team as if everyone is there and we can all have a win, then I'm not having to be salesy in terms of a used car salesman approach and try to pull something over somebody's eyes. As a leader, you truly have to think like that. You've got to think of the win so that you can then communicate that. And it's an authentic 
It's an authentic. So then it's not about being inauthentic and trying to pull the wool over somebody's eyes. It's about coming up with a vision, a mission, and values, a purpose that truly does resonate because it is a win. And then it's just down to can you communicate that effectively and clearly and compellingly enough to get that buy-in. So I think that I think that's very well said. Very well said. I like that. Yeah, I'll I'll mention one quick thing that's completely unrelated, but I'll tie it back to this, Dallas. Is this? So there's an author out there that I really enjoy his books, Ryan Holiday. He's written quite a few oh, books yeah. that I enjoy. Uh, and yeah, Ryan the obstacle Holiday, is the way, right? Isn't, isn't that Ryan Holiday? Yeah, the obstacle is yeah, the way. Yeah, obstacle is the way. Love that. Yep. But he has this thing when he talks about writing that he spends a year doing research, a year doing writing, and then a year promoting the book. Mm. And so for us as leaders or as managers, it's important to remember that same framework, right? We do the research. We then put the plan together. And then typically we walk away, right? We hand them the plan and we say, wash our hands. Our work is done. I did the plan. Y'all go execute on the plan. We forget Mm. that last bit. That last third is the sales approach, right? That last third is the persuasion. That last third is getting the buy-in from everyone else. So if I could challenge people listening with that one thing, it's like, do your research, do your presentation piece, right? The, The actual thing, put the thing together, but then don't forget a third of your work is to be done still after you've done the thing, right? After you've mm. presented the thing, you still have a third of your work left to do. So if we just embrace mm. that kind of mental thought that the work isn't done yet just because I presented it, that mm-hmm. will help us not feel frustrated when people don't jump up and down with excitement over our new plan. Yeah. When you've done the research, you're only a third of the way there. <laughs> and so it's like, you've got another two thirds to go in terms of crafting it and delivering it. And then, you know, really getting your hands dirty. And when I, when you say that, it makes me think of the amount of times that you have to remind people. It's like when Ford, you know, has a F-150 commercial, they don't tell 16 year olds, okay, you know, now that you got your driver's license, you need to buy a Ford truck and that's it. They give them one commercial when they're 16 and it's done. It's like, no, they spend the the rest of their life, every time they turn on a sporting event or any kind of TV show, they're going to, or any kind of social media, they're going to get this advertisement saying, you need a Ford F-150, you need a Ford F-150. Because Ford knows that it's, it, it has to be continually sharing the vision of what it means to buy an F-150. And so I think as leaders, we can't just go halfway. We could have a great vision, great mission, great values. But if we just put it out there and go, they, those people, they just didn't see it. They didn't get it. Let's go a step further and really dig into the details. I want to talk about that because you are passionate about creating high-performing teams and building culture. When you think about culture and creating a strong culture, growing a strong culture, you have your company and your teams and you work with many entrepreneurs and companies and teams. What is that what does that look like for you? How do you approach that when you talk about strong cultures? And creating high-performing teams, how would you, how do you approach that? Yeah, I would say the very first thing is that your culture in your business, your organization, even in your family, your culture is revealed when you, as the leader, are not present. So your mm. true culture isn't what happens when you're in the room. It isn't what happens when you're in the building. The true culture is revealed when you are not present. That is the actual true culture. So if you want to get a better feel for your actual true culture, you have to do some research into what actually takes place when you are not present. But when it comes to building a strong culture, again, I think about marketing and advertising and the confusion of those words. I think 
that we have to first understand what is culture. Because mm. over the last few years, culture has become sort of a buzzword, right? Everyone is talking yes. about company and organization culture. Right. Culture comes from the same Latin word as cultivate. Yes. And so when we think about cultivating, it's a farming term, right? We have to cultivate the soil. And mm -hmm. here's the interesting thing, Dallas, about cultivating the soil is that we do have to cultivate the soil initially to break it up, to break up the rocks, to break up the hard soil. But then in order to cultivate it properly, we also have to add nutrients into that soil sometimes. We also have to know what is present and what is not present, right? Mm. We can't just start adding nutrients to the soil if they already exist there, right? Mm. If we're adding one certain type of nutrient and it's already there, we're wasting time, we're wasting energy, mm. we're wasting effort. So we have to get clear about what is present in the soil. Then mm. once we plant the seeds in that soil, the cultivation is still not done. Right, Because what happens once the seeds are there and they start to grow and they start to sprout, these little things start popping up everywhere called weeds. And so <laughs> the way farmers take care of those weeds in big gardens is they cultivate, they till between the rows to remove those weeds out. Mm. And so when we think about culture is not something that you set and forget, mm -hmm. right? You cannot just set this thing up like we're going to do culture once a year at our annual event, we're going to do culture maybe once a quarter when we get together as a quarterly team meeting. That's going to be our, we're going to focus on culture. Yeah. That is not mm. what sets and creates culture. And I love the quote. I think it was uh, Peter Drucker, maybe, who said that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture <laughs> eats strategy for breakfast. That's exactly right. Yeah. And a few years ago, we witnessed that firsthand, right? So a few years ago, as this pandemic swept around the world, all of these organizations had developed and had strategies in place for that year, right? They had all these things that poured time and attention. They had these wonderful strategies in place. Mm. And then immediately, as March rolled around that year, those strategies went out the window really quickly. And yeah. what happened when those strategies went away is the true culture was revealed in yes. those moments. Yes. And that is where we ended up with kind of this whole notion of, you know, so many organizations started talking about no one wants to work. No one wants to show up. And the reality was the pandemic didn't break people's cultures. The pandemic merely revealed the true cultures that already existed. I love that, man. Oh, we could talk for, we'd need another four or five episodes to go through all of that in great detail because I can, I can totally see what you're saying. I love the fact that you point out the root word, basis of culture, and the idea of cultivation. And I think that when you listen to what you were describing to me, when, it, when you were describing that, like all the actions that one takes to create this healthy plant, you know, you're adding nutrients, you're tilling the soil, you're preparing the way, you're adding the nutrients for it to thrive, you're removing obstacles like weeds that are growing up, choked out. All these are things are, it's a very action-oriented thing. And I think that when you overlay that against your first statement about culture is a lot, has a lot to do with what is going on when you're not there, you know, what, and, and so when you look at those two things together, it's like saying this, when culture has a lot to do with what people are doing intentionally and to create something. And so it's like, it, even when you're not there. And so it's like, what activities, if you want to know what your culture of your company is, 
What activities are you routinely engaging in deliberately, intentionally, or even unintentionally that are con so consistent is creating something? What are you cultivating? All right. And then I think when we look at the strength of a culture, you know, if you can't take a vacation without things falling apart, then that's, you know, that's telling about the culture of the company. If you are saying we have this culture and we have, we ascribe to these values and yet the plant that you're growing is either withering <laughs> or it's not, it's, you're growing an apple tree and it's in the, and there's an orange tree there, like, you know, whatever, you know, it just, it really, it speaks to the, the strength of it. If you can, if your, your activities are in alignment with creating that healthy plan, I think that has a lot to do with the strength. So I think that culture is such a, it's like you said, it's a, it's a buzzword, but it's a buzzword that nobody really takes the time to understand and understand that how, how it's, it goes back to where we started the conversation is that there's some foundational things that we can be consistent about that we can do and put in place. And, and it's those some somewhat some boring things like people don't understand connection and relationships matter. They just, you can get lost in the transaction, but if you don't have a relationship with someone or a connection with someone, it doesn't matter if you have an SOP over the long term, because then all of a sudden COVID hits and they don't show up because there's no connection. There's no real reason for them to. And so I, I just think there's so many things there with that analogy that you described that is so true. I think it's a very good analogy with, with culture and it's important. So what are some things that you like? You know, I, we talk a little bit about, we had a book come out as well in, in October. We talk a lot, you know, one of the things that we, we talk about in the book is a unique, it's different, is as it relates to building culture is, is ritual. And I feel like rituals are lost in, in business a lot of times because the, we just don't see the value of that. But rituals are not some kind of religious thing necessarily. It's a shared experience. And it's something that we're doing in, you know, when we want to make, we want to take a big idea and to squeeze it into something physical, you know, a lot of times. But if it's a end of the year celebration where we can get up and recognize people and we have a ceremony for them, I mean, that's something that we can do in a way that has people talking about it. Or even if it's taking people out every month for their birthday, what are some things that you have done in your organization, your company that you feel, whether it's rituals or not, that really help strengthen your culture? Yeah, that's such a loaded question for me, Dallas, because I feel there's so many things that we do with intention now. Right before I didn't believe that I was a good leader, that I was a good manager. Therefore, mm. there was nothing I could do about it. Right. It was their fault. Mm. They were lazy. They didn't want to work, all these things. And yeah. since I've decided to shift that identity and mm. lean into figuring out as a good leader, as a good manager, there are so many things now that are rituals, so many things that are routine that mm. honestly, between you and I, and even my team knows this, I hate. There's some things I hate doing. But mm. I know that it's good for the culture. And mm. two things come to mind. Number one is that I've yet to meet a person, Dallas, that likes someone who is a hypocrite. Yet, as leaders, as managers, so often we attempt to hold people to a different standard than we hold ourselves to. And specifically what I mean by that is human nature says that when we look around we judge other people based on their actions, but we judge ourselves based on our intention. So a, an example of that, someone comes into work late. So we're supposed to be here, let's just say eight o'clock in the morning. Someone right. comes in at 820. So 
I judge them based on their action. I say, huh, in my head, I'm thinking, you know, they're lazy. They probably overslept. They're probably out partying. They, you know, all these things because they were late. Right. Now, if it was me coming in at 820, I say, I'm, you know, I was rushing to get here. I had a flat tire or the kids were sick or I had to bring the kids here, right? My intention was to be here at eight. Sure. I didn't make it, but I give myself a pass because my intention was in the right place. And right. so as leaders, I think it's important just to remember that when we look around, that we by default judge people solely based on the action that we see. And mm. there's so much more missing to the story. Always. There's so yes. much more missing to that story. That it's yes. so important to understand their intention was probably in the right place, mm. but they didn't execute because something came up. And what ties hand in hand with that? And I, I think this is unique. Um, and this is a challenge for us because for me as a leader, by default, my default is to be suspicious of other people. Like that's mm. the way I'm wired. I don't right, trust right. people. Right. I think part of that is uh, American culture in general. We tend to right. be a very suspicious, non-trusting culture. But one of the very first conversations that I have with any new hire when I meet with them one-on-one -on -one is this. We default here to trust. In other words, we trust you. We trust that you're going to do the right thing. We trust that you're going to live up to our expectations that you've agreed to. We trust that you're going to live out our core values, which again, you're aware of. You've agreed to you know, live up to these things. Yes. We're going to default to trust, but you will have the opportunity from time to cause us to have suspicion. Your job is to not give us those reasons because we already trust you. We trust that you're going to do the right things. We trust you. And that is a very foreign conversation for most people, Dallas. They're not used to that. One of our most recent hires, so every week we meet in a team meeting and everyone puts their commitments on the big screen for everyone to see. So we have a commitment that we make for this week. And so next week on the screen, we highlight in either green, meaning we did that commitment, yellow, meaning we did part of that commitment, or red, meaning we didn't do that commitment. And so one of our most recent hires came to me one day, and we were actually at lunch. He said, all these people are marking all these various things green every week. How do you actually know they're doing these things? And my answer was, because I trust them. Yeah. And so we had this whole conversation around how that is the default of this culture. And mm. I was very blunt with this person. I said, look, if you are questioning, if other people are lying, I said a great place to start would be with yourself. Like, are you feeling <laughs> a bit conflicted by some of your responses, but the way you're putting some of your answers on this screen, that right. is the place to start. And like you said earlier, I'm a huge proponent and believer that all leadership starts with the person in the mirror. That's that right. is where leadership starts. Mm. And so that's the conversation I had with this, again, brand new hire, been here, you know, a month or two at the time. And that though sets the tone for the culture as well, right? Yes. I think it shows too, you're consistent because, you know, if you say on your first day, we trust you. And then you just go and say, did you do this? Did you do that? Did you do and you just, your actions don't cultivate trust. Back to your old analogy, right? And then there's a, it's, it's like dissonance or, or resistance because it's like, wait a minute, it's not, it's like you're talking about, there's a hypocrisy there. And I think sometimes leaders, 
whether it's out of fear or whatever, will will not be consistent on that. I think you're doing a great job by stating the value. We trust you. This is our MO. That's what you have on day one. And then allowing that to play out. So you're not going back and saying, well, you, you said green, but did you really, did you, can you show me that? Can you prove that you got that? I mean, but, but to your point, you know, that person, it was almost so foreign to them that first when you were sitting there having a conversation, well, how do you know that? Because we trust people. That's how we operate. And, and something about that was making them feel uncomfortable. But I think that's so good because then it gives you that opportunity to have the conversation and say, this is what trust looks like here. It means that when people put green on their screen, it's green because they said it is because we trust them. And I think that's so cool because you've tied so many different elements there. I love too how you're making commitments every week. One of the things in our coaching system is making commitments and we do it monthly, but I love it because, and I love the accountability piece because you're saying this is what I'm going to do. And even though you trust them, they say, if it's green, it's green. You're still putting it up and saying, I want everybody in this, on this call to know this is what I'm committed to. And there's an accountability piece to that. I love that. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. And it's a safe place to be accountable because I can put green or red and it's like, okay, I, I, you know, but you're still putting yourself out there and still making commitments on what you want to do this week. So well done. Thank you. Thank you. What I would say though, it, it, tying back to mere leadership, like I have commitments on the screen as well. I have expectations that I have to live up to as well. In other words, I don't hold them to a different standard than I hold myself to, right? right. I am the, in this case, I'm the owner. I am the founder of this company, 100% ownership. So there's no one to tell me what to do, how to do it. But every single day I clock in when I get to work, I clock out when I go to lunch, I clock out when I leave for the day, right? I hold myself to the same standard that I expect other people to live at. And I see it so many times where we have different expectations for other people than we're unwilling to hold ourselves to those things. I think that's awesome. I think that's it. Again, it goes back to consistency and the culture that you're trying to create. And as the leader, if you're saying this is what we espouse and this is what we say we're about, this is what we do, you got to be willing to walk the walk, you know, and I think that's really great. Man, this has just been outstanding. I love this. I, I think this is fantastic conversation. I would love to, I would love to ask you a question at the end of our show. We always ask listeners who is someone they would like to listen to or watch on the last 10%. And it can be anybody. Some people say famous people. Some people say their cousin. Some people say a friend of theirs. It doesn't matter. Who would you like to see or hear on the last 10%? Yeah, that's a really tough question. The answer I would go to though is, you know, we're in, our office is located in downtown. We're in a small town, but downtown. And there's a lot of foot traffic in front of our building because the bus station's down here. And what I've learned over the years of being located down here is that every person has a very unique story. And sometimes we get so wrapped up in our own stuff, our own lives, our own busyness, that the stories around us mm. get missed out on. And so mm. the answer to your question would be, I would love for it to be just a random person walking by. Because again, <laughs> for awesome. people, yeah, for people like you who are great at what you do, which is drawing out, right? Through interviewing, through asking questions, you could extract those stories. And mm. in, within every story, there's always life lessons that come out of that. Mm. 
I love that. Very good. That's the first time. That's the first. That's the first answer we've heard like that. That's a very cool. But I love that. I love just the the random man on the street interview or woman on the street interview. I love that. Okay. All right. Good. I will see. We'll see if we can't do something like that in the future because I, I I do like that idea. Maybe we could. Maybe we could structure a show or something like that. That would be a that would be a really cool episode. Maybe. All right. So we have talked about so many things and you've added, I think, tremendous value to the listeners today. I'm sure everybody's enjoyed this episode. If something you said has resonated with them and they would like to get in touch with you, whether it's about marketing or culture or your accelerator program or anything, the book, how can people find you and what you do? Sure. So two places. First is the website, uglymugmarketing.com. All of our contact info is there. All of our company, you know, social channels are there. And then the other would be my personal Instagram page, which is where I post the most. That's just at fire yourself. And I post all <laughs> kinds of life stuff there as well. Okay. At fire yourself. We'll put both of those in the show notes so that you'll have access to that. If you've listened to the last 10% in your car, don't stop and write anything down. Just look at the show notes after the show. Thank you again, Wayne. For, this has just been a fantastic conversation. I appreciate your time and all that you do. And thank you for your work at Ugly Mug. And thank you for being an advocate for culture and performance and just all the things we've talked about today. It's been a very good, enlightening conversation. Thank you so much, Dallas, for the opportunity. And one, one closing thought for me is just simply this, that consistency creates miracles. So whether that's as a parent, a husband, a leader, whatever it may be, that when we learn to be consistent, miracles will occur. I love it. I love it. Thanks, Wayne. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us today on The Last 10%. We hope you found today's content engaging and encouraging. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to hear the latest episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us so others will join our community. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. This podcast can be found globally in any podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Subscribe today. Plus, visit our website, join our email list, and discover resources and info for your business and team at thinkmovethrive.com. Thanks again for listening to The Last 10%.